Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. For many years, the most successful insurance company in the world was AIG. And then the Great Recession came, and AIG required a $183 billion bailout from the U.S. government. That bailout has now been repaid with interest, and AIG is reshaped into a smaller but very successful insurance company being led by Peter Safino. I had a chance to sit down with Peter in his offices in New York to talk about the new AIG. So for those who aren't familiar with property and casualty insurers, what do they really do? Well, we insure uh, businesses, small, medium, large commercial businesses for their property insurance or their auto or financial lines, which is directors and officers. And we also have a business that does harder to place business, um, you know, such as like, you know, contractors or, you know, businesses that may not find its way into the conventional business. Um, and we also have a Lloyd's syndicate and we're a big part of, of Lloyd's as well. So as I understand the insurance business, there are really two parts to it. One is the part of assessing the risk and charging premiums that hopefully will, from the insurer's point of view, uh, cover the risk. And the second is taking those premiums and investing it and hopefully getting a good rate of return. So let's talk about the first part. So in the first part of assessing risks, is it harder today because inflation is so high to assess the risk that you might have in insuring somebody's home or property? At a property and casualty company, it's much more complicated to get the underwriting right than it is the investment side. And you're right, with inflation, uh, the complexity of cyber risk today, um, and, and other factors such as global warming, uh, catastrophes, um, you know, the dynamic of what happened after the pandemic with density in peak zone areas such as Florida, California. So understanding your balance sheet and your aggregates with what you're underwriting is, is complicated. You need people with a lot of experience and a lot of uh, you know, good judgment in terms of making underwriting choices. If somebody says climate change does not really hear, uh, they haven't talked to a property and casualty insurer, I guess, right? That's correct, and then that is true. Five out of the last six years, we've had over $100 billion of natural disaster losses in our industry. That's never happened before. What about artificial intelligence? Is artificial intelligence gonna enable you and others to say, we have enough information to know exactly what something is gonna be uh, worth or in terms of insuring it or not? Artificial intelligence is finding its way into our business in a variety of different factors. I think the first piece is getting much better insight into data, which allows us to make better decisions on underwriting. It's also uh, a great opportunity to service business better um, in terms of like call centers and different ways of what's using robotics and other AI uh, will be very helpful. But it is an emerging um, you know, practice within the industry and one that is evolving very quickly. So it's also going to present risks that you know, other companies, how they use it and how they use large language models and making sure the decision making is, is very sound. So it's complicated, but it definitely is benefiting the business today. Now, the insurance industry has a reputation, maybe undeserved, for, let's say, somebody has a claim, their house burned down or something, and the insurance adjuster comes out and says, well, it really wasn't worth as much as you think, or the damage wasn't as great. Is that a big problem anymore, or is that an unfair image? I think it's an unfair image. I think it probably perhaps is true, you know, years ago. Uh, but today, you know, the contracts are, um, you know, much more, uh, you know, clear. 
uh, you know, paying claims, that's what we do. I mean, we underwrite risks, but you know, when we have to show up in moments that matters in terms of how we pay our claims and the amount of disputes um, are very small as a percentage of our overall portfolio. And I don't think that that's a fair assessment. So when you make a, a judgment that you're going to charge somebody a certain premium, you think that you'll probably make a little profit or some profit on the premium. And generally, you, are you doing that now? Yes. I mean, you know, that's not been AIG's past. From 2009 to 2019, it lost over $30 billion in underwriting. Um, and so uh, coming in, I arrived in 2017 with a great team uh, that followed me here. And we be began that underwriting journey. Um, and so now we do make underwriting profit. So for every dollar we underwrite risk, um, you know, we make around, you know, 10 to 12 cents a profit without the investment income. Let's talk about the investment income. So you bring in these premiums and all insurers then invest it and yes. you get great people to invest it, I assume, for you. So what kind of return are you looking for on your investment portfolio? 75% of the portfolio tends to be fixed income. And so in this new interest rate environment, actually the investment income is going up. And then the remaining portion will be in some form of alternative uh, investments such as private equity uh, or commercial real estate. And that's done very conservatively, uh, but we, really are not going to win on just the investment income. You really need to make an underwriting profit. So we balance both uh, you know, very well. So I should say private equity. Uh, my own firm does have a relationship with AIG. So uh, of course you can't put more, too much money in private equity, right? Your investment professionals can't put too much money in that area, right? Absolutely, they do a great job. So in terms of the investment return though, um, generally are all insurers now basically making money both on investment return and on, on uh, premium underwriting? Is that what basically the core yeah, of the I business? I think generally speaking, the industry is making underwriting profit on its, its underwriting and it's on uh, the investment side as well. So it's often said that Lloyd's of London, which would insure almost anything. So are there things that you won't insure if somebody comes to you and says, I'm worried about uh, my uh, wedding being rained out or something like that. Is there any kind of insurance that you won't provide? Yeah, we are very uh, specific in terms of what we want to underwrite. I mean, it has to be where we have skill, uh, where we can deploy capital and get a, a fair return. So we don't really reflect the way Lloyd's can insure almost anything. It's much more, um, you know, a, a traditional um, specialty company that would have uh, real strong expertise and scale in the areas that we underwrite. So housing insurance is a big part of your business, I assume. So what is the biggest risk uh, for you in providing insurance to people's homes? Well, the complexity has been um, the density built up in areas that have significant exposure. If you think about the southeast of the United States for wind uh, or wildfire in California, what happened as a effect of the pandemic is that you know, people were moving into those areas and you know, I'll, I'll make it up, but you know, a two and a half million dollar house uh, cost five million during the pandemic and people knocked it down and put up a 10. Uh, so all of a sudden you had all this density in areas that were already challenged to have enough insurance to be able to respond to the individual homeowners. So I think it's just become more complex, add in you know, more frequency of, of hurricanes and wildfire, and you just have a market that is uh, under a little bit of stress. And property and casualty, that is separate than automobile insurance. Um, you, auto would you, go into- You do uh, auto and vehicle insurance? Yes. And is that a risky business to be in these days? Are drivers getting better? Or what about people that supposedly don't have cars that don't have drivers? Are you worried about that? I am worried about that. I mean, you know, driverless vehicles are uh, a, a big exposure, but, but I think that you know, with AI, quality of vehicles, um, it's more predictable than perhaps it was in the past. So for your own home, who provides home insurance for you? AIG. 
Oh, and if you have a claim, do you have any problem getting it paid? Or I haven't had a claim, but uh, I, I, claim. I, don't think I, I don't think I would. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's talk about how you got into the insurance business. So uh, your father was in the business, and did he say... Um, Peter, when you grow up, you should go into the insurance business. Is that what happened? No, he didn't. I mean, the myth of uh, him, you know, reading me insurance and reinsurance books at night is is not true. Um, he always encouraged me to to do and pursue what I wanted. And quite frankly, I, I went to you know Boston College, graduated, and the reason why I wanted to enter the insurance industry was I wanted to stay in Boston. And, and a company uh, called the Hartford that was owned by ITT at the time did offer me a job. Uh, if I would do training uh, elsewhere to come back to Boston. And uh, so that was the reason I took the job. Now, some people might say that insurance is a boring business. It doesn't <laughs> attract people the way private equity does. But is that not the case? Or you found it to be interesting even right out of college? No, I find it very interesting. I mean, you're not doing the same thing all the time when you start in the industry. I mean, you're learning to build relationships. You're understanding the quantitative nature of, of how to underwrite and also the qualitative nature. So I I liked it because it had a balance of doing different things at once. So what did you do after your first job in Boston? Well, that's ironically, um, I never made it back to Boston. And so that's, uh, I, I stayed um, in, in New York and uh, you know early on in my career, I didn't think I could really work in New York City, which has been you know the predominant portion of my career. Um, so um, I've always been in big companies, worked at ITT and then I worked at General Electric um, and Marsh McLennan after that. All right, so um, you were working at Marsh McLennan on September 11th yes. of uh, 2001. And where were you on that morning? That morning, so it was my sixth day of, of work at, uh, at Marsh McLennan, and I was on the 53rd floor of Tower 2 uh, that day to work. And so what happened? The first plane went into Tower 1. Uh, I had seen it, um, and so uh, colleagues and I started to evacuate. Nothing urgent but into the stairwell to, to make our way down um, and made it to about the 40th floor when the second plane uh, went into the building, which I didn't know what it was at, at the time. I'd figured either Tower One had tipped over or something else had come into the building. And, um, you know, we had a sense of urgency of, of getting so was out. Was there a mass rush down the stairways there, then? There was. I mean, it was orderly, but it, it was starting to get panicky of, of trying to get out of the building and, and rush our way down the stairwell. So you got out of the building. How much before the building collapsed? I was probably 20 minutes, um, you know, north of the building when it collapsed. So, when so you, I was never in danger of, um, you know, having soot or, or other things on me once the building collapsed. But as soon as you got out of the building, you didn't look up there and say, oh, I'll see what's going to survive. You, you ran somewhere? Yeah. No, I actually met a friend and um, we happened to, uh, you know, we walked north to 125th Street over the course of the day uh, to get out of the city. And how many of your colleagues died? 
uh, almost 300 that day. 300 colleagues died from yes. Marsh McLennan. Yes. Okay, so you didn't get out of that and say, I've had enough of Wall Street, I've had enough of insurance, I'm gonna go into something else? No, it's the unique part about our business is that, um, you know, in you know, major disasters or, you know, things that happen like that, you know, our clients need us. And, um, you know, so it was immediately, you know, calibrating, focusing on helping, um, you know, I was in the reinsurance business at that time. So helping insurance companies, uh, you know, get back into business and helping raise capital and, uh, you know, helping them assess what they needed to do going forward. So today, uh, AIG over the years has been a gigantic uh, company, one of the largest, maybe the largest at one time market cap uh, insurers in the world. But then during the Great uh, Recession, it had some problems, and ultimately the government had to come in with a, a bailout, you could call it, a $180 billion guaranteed loan or bailout. Have you paid that back yet? Yes, that's been paid back um, you know, well before I arrived at the company. And did the government make a profit on that? They did. Yes, they made a profit. There was interest and, um, and a profit. So what caused that was basically too much uh, insurance on, I guess it was, high-risk mortgages? Yeah, it was a financial products product that had, um, you know, credit related. And so that, you know, created a, um, you know, impact on liquidity. So, Peter, when you took over as the CEO of this company, it wasn't as in as good a shape as it appears to be now. So what did you do to turn it around? And what are you most proud of having achieved in your time as CEO so far? Well, the, the thing I'm proud of the most is just the number of people that, you know, came to AIG and actually people that stayed. Uh, to come together as an organization to actually try and improve our underwriting, our operational capabilities, and there and our financial performance. I mean, we had to shed, relative to our balance sheet, $1.4 trillion of exposure uh, since we started. And so that was a dramatic change. Um, we had to you know, do 10 operational programs at once to get the foundation stability for the company for the future. And I actually think that part of the pandemic benefited us because we compressed that transformation and did it very fast. Uh, and made dramatic improvements for the company. And then the financial performance started to really, um, you know, manifest itself from the efforts that we made on the underwriting side and the operations side. So it's just been a tremendous effort. As we've talked about this, you're now in pretty much in the P&C business, property and casualty. You're, you're getting out of the life insurance business over time. But explain to me why the life insurance business wouldn't be a better business because you know people are going to die, fairly predictable. Actuaries can tell you when they're going to die. Is, why is that business not as good as the property and casualty business? Well, I, it's, it's a very good business. Um, the property and casualty business is, is totally different. I think the complexity in life insurance business is just, you know, they have so much investable assets. It's a spread business um, and one that has really different, you know, dynamics that drive its outcomes. Now, I see lots of ads on television for insurance, sometimes home insurance, so forth, but I don't see a lot of AIG ads. Are you appealing to people like me who are watching television, or you're going to institutional market? We have um, you know, a distribution of agents and brokers that uh, we're really a business to business, and so we source our business through uh, that distribution channel. So us advertising to you know, the end consumer has limited value in the products that we uh, actually underwrite. So today, the insurance business generally in the United States, would you say it's a reasonably healthy business today? I would. I think balance sheets are strong. I think the returns are, uh, are, are very good, and I think there's positive momentum. So you see a lot about what's going on in the economy because you underwrite a lot of uh, activities. What is your biggest worry about the economy today? Or you think we're going to go into recession? Are you worried about inflation, high interest rates? Um, I worry about it all. I mean, but, you know, for insurance, I mean, certainly inflation is one because of, you know, we carry reserves for many years on our balance sheet. 
and uh, you know what the effect is of, of inflation as we pay claims over the long term. Um, you know the investment rates, as I said, with fixed income, that's really strong for us in terms of reinvestment rates, and so allows us to uh, to do very well on the investment side. And um, I, I do worry about the you know global economy. Um, you know GDP has been holding up, but but certainly like in the United States, I mean a big part of the GDP is healthcare and tech. Um, and so seeing consumer spending and, and driving sales through retail is something that we watch uh, you know, frequently. What percentage of your business is your insurance overseas and what percentage is in the United States? It's about 50-50 overseas and the United States. What are the number of employees you have now? We have a little over 30,000 employees at AIG and probably another 20,000 of uh, you know, employee equivalents in terms of what we outsource through um, you know, a, a back office or through technology. And today, your market capitalization is roughly $45 billion, yes. something like that? Yes. And today, uh, do you spend any time in Washington, D.C., saying to regulators, you're not doing a good job regulating us, or you members of Congress do a better job in taking care of the debt repayment? Do you, do you spend any time in Washington? I do spend time in Washington and, and spend time with lawmakers. I mean, the complexity of insurance is that we're state regulated, and so, you know, spending time with uh, various state regulators and, you know, FCA and FSA, um, in uh, the UK and Japan, respectively, is where I spend more of my time. And uh, do you find when you meet with members of Congress, it's an uplifting experience? <laughs> um, you know, getting compromise and uh, talking through specific issues is, is more challenging than, uh, than it's been in the past, but, you know, we're trying to make progress. Now, you go to a lot of CEO gatherings. I assume you're members of business, things like the Business Roundtable or the Business uh, Council and things like that. When you talk to other CEOs, not just in your industry, what are they most worried about today? The political divisiveness in Washington, inflation, high interest rates. What do you think people are most worried about? I think those three always come up, um, and the geopolitical environment. Uh, I also think state-sponsored, uh, you know, cyber attacks, and what does that do to uh, you know a company? All of that is getting a lot of attention, and I think it doesn't matter what industry you're in; it has its impact. I think also global expansion. The you know, resistance for, um, you know, acquisitions um, and, and support, you know, for companies to be able to acquire, you know, big businesses outside of the United States gets challenging as well. So as the CEO of this company, uh, your biggest concern is always increasing the share price or providing good service to your customers. What do you worry about the most in terms of the job of being a CEO? Well, it's a great privilege to, to be a CEO of a company like this, and we've been in a massive turnaround so fortunate to have so many good people with me uh, at, at AIG. I think with I, I had the longest tenure of six years of all of my uh, executives, and I think over 60% of our top 100 are new to the company. And so, like bringing that together to actually drive the outcomes that that we have has been incredibly rewarding. And taking, as you said, there's short-term, uh, you know, demands on CEOs, but taking a long-term view of a business and building foundational you know, capabilities that are going to enable us to do much more for our clients over the long term. Adapting to AI and adapting to, you know, a rapidly changing world is a high priority for me. So if the President of the United States called you and said, you know, you really know a lot about insurance, you know a lot about risk, why don't you come into the U.S. government and help assess risk we have, you would say what? I'm better suited for a public company, is what so I would say. So you're not probably going to go into the public sector anytime that, that, soon? That probably is not in the, in the cards for me. As we talk today, um, there are lots of uh, problems around the world. One of them is what's going on in Israel. Another one is what's going on in uh, Ukraine. How do you assess those risks? For example, did you ever provide insurance to people in Ukraine? We did provide, um, we had a business in Russia 
um, you know, prior to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, we did not have a big business in, in Ukraine, but through, um, you know, Lloyd's, we did have exposure uh, to some classes of business, uh, you know, through the war. And so, you know, assessing that is very complicated and, and one that you need to manage, you know, how much you're going to underwrite in a specific class that could have, you know, political violence or a, a war or terrorism. So let's suppose I own a big factory, a semiconductor chip factory in Taiwan, and I come to you and say, you know, I just want to uh, get some insurance against the possibility that China might invade and destroy or take over my plant. Is that the kind of thing you would do, or that's too risky? That would be too risky. Yeah, I think that there's there is some portions of what we call political violence, uh, you know, coverage, but you know, in areas where we know that there's an exposure, um, it, it gets very hard to to underwrite that and. So we would have very limited capacity to be able to do something like that. So do you, you don't provide war insurance then, pretty no. much. Uh, you provide flood insurance. I have a home in Nantucket that's right on the water there, and I'm always worried that when the flood's going to come. So can I get flood insurance, or is that hard to get these days? It's hard to get, but we do provide flood insurance, um, as does the government. And what's the fastest growing area of insurance that people are is, uh, for, for property and casualty? What are people most interested in, just home insurance? Home insurance has been one of the more complicated ones, uh, you know, across the United States. But I think, uh, you know, the, one of the biggest growing areas is what we call excess and surplus lines. It's a market that sits alongside the regulated market, uh, and that has been growing uh, significantly across the industry as well as for AIG. And what's been the biggest challenge for the insurance industry over the last five or ten years? I think it's understanding, um, you know, these unpredictable risks of whether it was the pandemic. Um, understanding what could happen, you know, with potential war breakout, but also, you know, the climate change. As I said before, having that type of hurricane activity, we've had a hundred natural disasters reported through nine months of, of this year. That, that just hasn't happened in the past. So if I am trying to learn the insurance business, what's the most important thing as an outsider wants to assess whether the industry is a good industry to invest in? What are, what are the indicia that people like me should look at? I always think, depending on how sophisticated the individuals are looking at, at companies, always the strength of the balance sheet, uh, the consistency of performance is really important because if you end up getting a lot of surprises from catastrophes or you know, other variables, it's very hard to predict what's going to happen with that insurance company in the future. Uh, and then I'd look at the leadership in terms of you know, their track record in uh, you know, developing business that have sustainable long-term profitability. Now, the insurance business has been historically a, a very strong one in the United States. Are we still the leader in global insurance, or are there companies outside the United States that are even more significant now? Very big companies in China, uh, very big companies in uh, Japan market, and there's very big companies market cap-wise in, uh, in Europe. And so I, I think that those are the four areas, including the United States, that have very large market cap multinational uh, insurance companies. And today, in AIG, what is the biggest challenge you, you face as the CEO of AIG? What are you most worried about? Well, all of the, you know, what's happening, um, you know, geopolitically, uh, we've just come out of a pandemic. I mean, the complexities uh, across the world and the fragility of, you know, what might happen in the future is, is what I worry about, you know, the most because there's things, if, you know, if you told me five years ago, uh, you're going to come in, be the CEO, you're going to deal with the global pandemic, two wars, um, you know, potential, you know, political, um, you know, tension across the world and also uh, dealing with uh, financial, you know, challenges. That, that, that's a lot. And so making sure that we, you know, focus and deliver on what we, uh, you know, can do as an insurance company and adapt to all the changes that are going on around us. 
So for young professionals who might be watching who say, well, I'm looking for a job, maybe I should get in the insurance business, why should somebody want to come into the insurance business? What makes it so exciting? I think our purpose and, and what we do for a living is, is very, uh, you know, meaningful. Like we keep businesses, societies, uh, you know, cities moving after, you know, natural disasters or, you know, moving claims and allowing companies to, to build. And, um, you know, a lot of times in order to lend, you need to have insurance. And so I think it's a, uh, you know, industry that really doesn't get its full credit for, you know, all that it does. And I think our purpose is incredibly meaningful. Um, and we show up in moments that are really critical for, you know, our customers and clients. Well, listen, you've done a very good job of dealing with a, a complicated situation because AIG has been in a turnaround uh, ever since the government bailout, I guess I would call it bailout. Yeah. And today you would say its financial shape is pretty good? I think it's, uh, it's very good. The progress that we've made, again, with uh, having so many tremendous people here that had a single purpose of putting AIG back to being an industry leader, uh, that we've strengthened sort of every component of the company, the balance sheet, underwriting capabilities, our investment portfolio is much simpler, the company's simpler, um, operations are streamlined, so I think we've really made enormous progress and, and feel like we have a lot to do still. Thanks for listening. To hear more of my interviews, you can subscribe and download my podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen.